This is the Hello World Podcast, where we talk about habits of success, habits of excellence, entrepreneurship, leadership, learning and development, and outlook that will help us succeed through life. This is Louis Banta, CEO and Chief Trainer of Learning Just Made Better or LJMB. This is episode 17 and we'll talk about habits of success. Our guest for today will talk about habits of success, future-proofing your career and company. And our guest is an avid entrepreneur, serial angel investor, highly sought-after keynote speaker, and author of Future-Proof Your Career and Company. Over the years, with his popular leadership seminars and workshops, he has inspired over 10,000 leaders and prepared them for this increasingly disruptive future. Prior to his entrepreneurial and literary ventures and adventures, our guest was an award-winning CEO of global companies such as Inspiro and SPI Global. And under his leadership, these companies won over 100 awards, including Best Company of the Year, Best Employer of the Year, and Best Leadership Team of the Year. He was also recognized as the ICT CEO of the Year. He holds an international MBA from the Thunderbird School of Global Management. And when he's not busy future-proofing leaders, he is busy child-proofing his home for his two young daughters. He has lived in the Philippines for over 14 years and has recently moved to Singapore. My personal leadership idol and a person with whom I've worked with for the past 12 and 13 years, our guest for today, Molik Parek. Hello world! Thank you for being here, Molik, and for saying yes to our request for you to guest in the Hello World podcast. I'm so excited. Uh, congratulations uh, for launching this podcast. I know I'm uh, the guest number 17, so it seems like you have had a good run so far, and I hope I can help you take it to the next level. Indeed, when uh, the name Molik came to mind again, it's definitely a very welcome addition to our roster of guests that also operate within the same uh, circle. And then I also wanted to emphasize that we get guests here who are not just well-known in their fields, but also had made a personal direct or the indirect impact on uh, me, my leadership style, and my uh, mindset. And here we go. I know we meet each other once a year, uh, Molik, for the benefit of our community of listeners, LJMB and Louis Banta, at least for once a year, would serve the leadership teams of Bolik since 2011 and even uh, before that? No, I think, uh, you know, uh, it's a tradition that we have had for many, many years. And while you consider me as your idol, I have always looked up to you as somebody I can learn from, especially when it comes to entrepreneurial pursuits. I mean, the way you have uh, turned this uh, extremely difficult crisis 
you know, the times when people have gone out of business. I saw one of your LinkedIn uh, posts recently where you mentioned uh, that, uh, you know, you've had a huge impact on your business, some 15 million peso worth of uh, business lost, which for you probably is just a pocket change. Um, but uh, you did not uh, throw in your towel. You know, you, you have actually figured out a way to get ahead of the curve and make uh, what they call, you know, make the lemonade out of the lemon that was uh, given to you. So uh, I look up to you and uh, what you have done for my team over the years, as well as personally for me. Uh, it's good to be with you again today on the podcast. And that, that's great, Molik, that you actually saw that post. It's uh, the greatest test of a speaker like you and me is when we actually experience the lessons that we usually just talk about no, in a group of, uh, of people. And yeah. now I will learn more from you because of the very interesting topic that we had, very relevant. I know that uh, businesses and individuals have been hit a lot. I know that that will touch, your, your book will touch on that career and the company. How do we now become future-proof after having gone through this uh, hardship? So how did this book come about, Molik? What's the driving force of, uh, of future-proofing your career in your company? No, that's a great question. I'm getting that question everywhere, you know, whenever I'm speaking to the journalists or some of the other leaders. Uh, and I'm telling them that, you know, this book has been marinating in my consciousness for almost three, four years now. Um, and for two key reasons you know, a professional reason and a personal reason. Uh, mm -hmm. Professionally, as you know, until very recently, I was uh, the CEO of Inspiro. And in my last three years with the company, I noticed uh, three very powerful and uh, disruptive forces gaining momentum, gaining speed, gaining strength. And I'm talking about uh, artificial intelligence. I'm talking about the digital natives. I'm talking about... Uh, the geek economy, you know, the artificial intelligence I witnessed was slowly infiltrating our jobs and our uh, processes. Uh, the digital natives were uh, storming the workplace and turning it upside down. And the geek economy was changing not only who gets the job done, but also where, when, and how. So while this disruption was taking place, um, at the workplace, my personal life, as you know, was also disrupted uh, very positively some four years ago when my first daughter, Clara, was born. And that changed everything for me. You know, I, I had a relationship with the future in the past where I was always thinking about the future when I was doing the strategy for the company, the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. But once Clara arrived, the uh, future became more meaningful than just those strategy documents. Um, I saw myself spending a lot more time thinking about what kind of future she will grow up into. I started paying attention to all the clues as to how the future may unfold and what kind of skills and talents that she would need to succeed. So, you know, in, in a nutshell, uh, the book that I wrote is uh, as a result of this professional and personal curiosity as to the kind of future we are all going to experience over the next 10 years. I'm just fascinated, Malik, by how your role as the CEO and strategist 
has perfectly blended with your personal role as dad. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Both roles really, uh, there could be a lot of differences between those two roles, but one thing is common, the shared concern about future. How are our people going to succeed and how are our children in the next generation definitely going to succeed in this uh, I would say post-COVID world now, Molik. And right now, leaders are, in the past six months, you've always hear COVID-19, COVID crisis, new normal, never normal. In fact, even our webinars and courses will always have that ender because of COVID or in this COVID times. There are plenty of articles, books being written about COVID, tips on COVID, but your book, now goes beyond that. It's about the post-COVID world. Uh, yeah, what I mean, are your thoughts on that? I purposefully did that because, uh, you know, if you look around, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you are inundated with everything COVID-19 and the COVID-19 crisis and how it's impacting our lives, and our jobs, our professions. Uh, but as leaders, uh, yes, Rightfully, we have to pay attention to what is urgent and important, which is the COVID-19. But as leaders, we also have to put ourselves in the quadrant, what I call the magic quadrant, right? Uh, which is not urgent, but important. Mm -hmm. uh, the three forces that I discussed with you, you know, the artificial intelligence, the digital natives, uh, the gig economy, are all the issues that fall into that magical quadrant, not urgent, but very important. And the reason I think they're important is because, you see, COVID-19 one day will pass, uh, hopefully soon. Mm -hmm. right? uh, as the vaccines get developed and as they are distributed, uh, one day we will see the end of this. Just like, you know, when 9-11 happened, people thought that was the end of the world. People thought people would never travel uh, through airlines anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and what happened six months later? Business was back to normal. So 9-11 now is a distant memory. Yes, it changed how we travel now. There is a lot more security at the airport. So we are used to that new normal. But it's not impacting our lives today. And it will be the same thing. In 2030, what we are experiencing with COVID-19 would be a distant memory. So what we should be focused on are the things that would impact beyond COVID-19. While the COVID-19 will actually slowly start dissipating. The three forces that I talked about are only going to continue gaining momentum. They're going to continue gaining strength. They're going to continue gaining speed. So think about it. Um, you know, AI, for example, McKinsey just did a study recently, and they found that over the next 10 years, between now and 2030, up to 375 million jobs could be displaced around the world. Let's talk about digital natives, for example. By 2030, when the last batch of baby boomers will uh, reach the retirement age of 65, the digital natives will make up two-thirds of the workforce, 66-plus percent of the workforce 10 years from now would be made up of the digital natives. The people we see today as interns or the entry-level employees will be sitting in the positions of power and influence. Mm -hmm. Talk about the gig economy. Uh, according to a recent study by uh, Upwork, they are predicting that by 2030, 
some 50% or more of the U.S. workforce will be engaged in the gig economy. Mm-hmm. They'll be involved in some uh, freelancing. And that mm-hmm. rate of growth for countries like the Philippines and India and China would even be higher. Mm-hmm. So the way we are looking at the work today is going to be significantly different in 10 years from what it is today. You know, when I was growing up, Louis, uh, back, and I write about this in the book, uh, in 1991, I remember staying, uh, standing in a line outside of an American consulate in Mumbai. Mm-hmm. And I woke up at 4 in the morning. I stood in the line at 5 a.m. I was trying to get my student visa to go to the U.S. And luckily, I got that visa. And for me, that was a life-changing moment. But today, some 25, uh, 30 years later, life-changing moment is not necessarily getting the visa stamp on your passport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Life-changing moment is what? Having internet connection and a smartphone or a tablet and accessing mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. You can now access the world of opportunities from where you are. You don't have to go somewhere to explore the opportunities in the world. So these three forces are so powerful. And more and more, I did some research while writing this book. I realized that if we don't pay attention to these forces, if we don't understand them, if we don't learn how to adapt to them over the next mm-hmm. 10 years, uh, it could mean either companies are going to grow or they, mm-hmm. they're going to become extinct. It could mean either you're going to be relevant in your job over the next 10 years or you'll become irrelevant. And these three things will really make the next 10 years. I, I'm, well, what struck me was when you mentioned 2030, 2020 to 30, 2030, the most disruptive decade of our time because of these three uh, trends. And Malik, you also, what uh, made an impact on me is you mentioned that COVID is really just temporary, even if maybe the longest uh, recent crisis that we will experience, it will really go away. This will not go forever. But these trends of AI, digital natives taking over the workforce in this continuously ballooning gig economy are the things that we need to watch out for. And a lot of people have already written a lot on this, a lot have spoken on this. But again, your book is about the practical things that people need to prepare for or do in response to this. Yes. In relation to that, how, do we, how should we prepare for this? How should we future-proof our career now in our company given this context? Sure. And, and one quick thing on why, you know, this next decade is going to be the most disruptive one, right? Uh, when I share these three forces with people, people realize they're important, but they ask me, but why these three forces and how are they related? Uh, because when mm-hmm. you look at them, uh, first time, you know, artificial intelligence or smart machines, uh, the younger generations or the gig economy, they look disparate. They don't look uh, related to each other. But if you take a step back and you look at them, you realize that they are related. Actually, they are Mm -hmm. siblings. Mm -hmm. They are born out of the digital revolution. Mm -hmm. Technology has basically brought them forth and technology is the one that is helping them flourish. And Mm -hmm. as the technology accelerates, as as the digital revolution accelerates over the next 10 years, 
all these forces are expected to peak all at the same time. So if I was a business leader today and I'm asking the weatherman, what's the forecast for the weather? The weather forecast for the next 10 years for any businessman or a woman is um, a perfect storm because mm -hmm. all these forces are colliding together. It's like looking at the horizon and seeing all these storm clouds coming together mm -hmm. and creating a scenario perfect for the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. yeah, the continued VUCA, as you may uh, call it, right? A volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. There's That's even right. a new term right now, a, a rap world, rapid, uh, uh, paradoxical world, entangled the world. Tangled, ev everything is connected. And I like it when you said these three trends, we need to be able to see the connection among all these uh, three. So now appreciating that I need to watch out for these three and mm -hmm. prepare myself, prepare my career. If I'm a professional, if I'm a digital native and I want to really succeed in the future, I need to prepare my career. If yes. I'm a senior leader, I'm a CEO, I need to future-proof my company. Let's start with future-proofing the careers of uh, our, yeah. our listeners, Monique. What skills and talents will really be in demand so that we can go to, let's say, three to five things that we can do to future-proof our careers? So in the book, uh, Louis, I share with them five dimensions of the future. You see, before you can future-proof your career, you have to cultivate, based on your research, based on study, based on watching news, uh, reading newspapers, uh, cultivate uh, an informed perspective on the dimensions of the future we will experience going forward. And I, in the book, I share uh, five dimensions of the future that each and every leader should prepare for, get used to, and embrace all of them. Uh, so the first dimension is uh, the going forward, the future is. AI, the future is artificial intelligence. That train has left the station. It's not mm -hmm. slowing down. Artificial intelligence will continue to infiltrate our jobs and our companies and our processes. So no need for us to live in a denial. Mm -hmm. So if the future is artificial intelligence, what should you do to improve your career improve your chances for the promotions and growth. You should be looking at being a human that AI cannot replicate. Mm -hmm. You have to ask yourself, what can AI not do, at least over the next 10 years? Eventually, you know, 100 years from now, maybe AI can literally replicate everything we are doing. And, uh, you know, that would be a different world. But I have written this book with the um, the horizon to be 2030. Over the next 10 years, we have to ask ourselves, what can AI not do? And then master those skills and talents. So I have given some examples in the book, for example. Um, AI can match our body and to a certain extent, our mind. Mm -hmm. AI doesn't have a luxury of a heart or a conscience. Mm -hmm. AI doesn't understand emotions. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel emotions. If you tell the word Malasaki to AI, 
it would be an enigma mm-hmm. to AI. So one of the things leaders should do over the next 10 years is to enhance their EQ, invest mm-hmm. their time and effort in learning how to become a leader with better EQ, being able to understand and relate and feel other people's pain or joy, something mm-hmm. that AI would not be able to do. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. thing I mentioned in the book is uh, uh, AI is not creative. AI cannot create on its own. AI creates based on the information you feed into it, mm-hmm. but on its own, for example, we can look at a sunset and can be inspired to paint a uh, masterpiece or mm-hmm. uh, write a song or write a poem. AI doesn't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. AI doesn't have intuition. AI, AI cannot create something out of nothing. So another thing that humans should be doing to improve their chances for career growth is to work on their creativity. Mm-hmm. If you are analytical, then learn to become more creative. If you are creative, learn to become more analytical. You know, one of the things uh, Leonardo da Vinci once said is that uh, learn the art of the science and also the science of the art. Create a personality based on your whole brain, not Mm -hmm. just left brain or the right. Mm -hmm. The third thing I mentioned is... uh, AI doesn't know how to lead or inspire. Mm-hmm. Imagine, just think about the COVID-19 situation we are in. Imagine if AI was the CEO, for example, of a company or a country leader of a con- country, right? What would AI do in a scenario like this? Mm-hmm. AI doesn't know how to lead or inspire. So another thing that people should be thinking about doing is uh, invest in their leadership skills. Uh, figure out a way to become more inspiring. Mm-hmm. where you are not only resonating with people's mind and their motivation, but you are going beyond that. You are resonating with their heart. Mm-hmm. You are resonating with their innermost feelings. If you can mm-hmm. do that, then uh, you are in a good shape going forward. And I have written many more things about what kind of a human you can be in the book, but at least this kind of gives you a sample as to the first dimension, that the future is AI and mm-hmm. that you can do. The next uh, dimension of the future is change. Mm-hmm. That the future is change. Uh, if we are used to change in the past, it's only going to accelerate. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I shared with you earlier, uh, before we started the podcast, that I'm so impressed that you were faced with a change in your life. Uh, you know, you're used to delivering your leadership seminars. I have seen many of those over the years in person because you are brilliant at that. I mean, you are born to do this and you do an amazing job. And what happened? You were given a lemon. This COVID-19 situation happened. You posted on your LinkedIn page that, you know, this has been a very tough time for you. You have had a loss of almost 15 million, uh, 15 million pesos worth of business uh, in the last six, seven months. But you did not throw in your towel. You know, you actually took this change and made a lemonade out of it, right? And so we need more of that. So future is going to be changed. You have to be the catalyst for this change. You cannot just accept the change or embrace the change. You almost have to be the catalyst for it. You have to be the champion for it. 
Uh, you have to cultivate the muscle, as I call it in the book, uh, to say no more to mediocrity, to say no more to nonsensical or unfair, and become the vehicle in companies for the positive change. If you can do that, then you're going to be in great demand. Because if you think about it, Louis, over the next 10 years, companies are going to look for leaders who are going to be driving this change at a micro level because companies need to change also. So if companies cannot change at the micro level, at each employee level, then how would this change at a macro level? So in my opinion, uh, being a catalyst is going to be one of the most highly sought after skill set that the companies mm -hmm. will be looking for. So something mm -hmm. you know, people should be keeping in mind. So that's the second uh, dimension. The third dimension is uh, the future is people. You know, even though technology and you know, the digital revolution will continue to expand its presence in our life, people are not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. There will be a lot of people that we'll have to work with over the next 10 years. So what do you do? The people who learn how to become an alchemist who can uh, take ordinary people and turn them into extraordinary people uh, where they can do amazing things that they never thought before, mm -hmm. then those people would be in demand. So if you can mm -hmm. become an alchemist where you can turn anything you touch into gold, so to speak, mm -hmm. then companies would need more of you. So mm -hmm. figure out a way to unshackle you know, the chains of complacency that's holding you back or holding your team members back and take a leap toward greatness. If you can do that, then, you know, your, your future, your, your career is future-proof. The fourth element, and please ask me any questions, Louis, because I'm just going through, you know, the way the book is structured, mm -hmm. but if there's any question you have during this uh, time. Actually, I had, I had uh, a lot of insights, Molik. You're also uh, stimulating a lot of things in my head now. Uh, going back to the AI uh, item that you mentioned, a lot of people are seeing AI as a threat, a threat that it will replace me, that I should resist AI or I should resist technology in general. But how powerful you put it there that instead of seeing AI as a threat, accepting that it's really part of what we're doing right now and we'll do much of it in the future, looking at how we can uh, be distinguished from uh, AI, or strengthening competencies that can never be performed by AI. And I like what you mentioned, EQ, leadership skills, ability to inspire. So yes, it, it really uh, underscores the importance of these influence uh, skills, the soft skills as we call it, right? the soft skills even becoming more important than hard skills when you're talking of building your career in the uh, future. So if you're a digital native and you want to really succeed in the next 10 years while you improve your functional expertise, take it from Molik, you also have to strengthen your EQ, influence, leadership skills. Uh, so you can also um, you know, have that. That's the advantage that we have over AI. Am I making sense, Molik? Did I put it right here? 
Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you are in the leadership and uh, development uh, training arena, and you know a lot of companies spend a lot of effort in uh, preparing their workforce for technical training, you know, the mm-hmm. hard skills, mm-hmm. technical know-how of their job. But over the next 10 years, the soft skills are going to be equally important, if not more. Mm-hmm. So that's for future-proofing your career. Okay. Go ahead, Molly. There's still two more dimensions. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. So um, again, I'm trying to synthesize this, uh, Louis, from you know, 48,000 word book. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to distill this thing so that we can cover this in yes. the time slot we have. Yes. But there is a lot of detail in the book itself. Uh, it goes into a lot of depth as to how do you actually cultivate those things. It's one thing to say. You have to have this. Uh, it's another mm-hmm. thing to actually give them a roadmap as to mm-hmm. how you can actually go from point A to point B. So those are the things, obviously, people are have to look it up in the book. So mm-hmm. the remaining two items for the career uh, is the future is turbulent. You know, look around the world today. Uh, you see companies and industries becoming obsolete. And they are going through this disruption at a rate than ever before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that jobs and skills are becoming irrelevant, again, faster, at a faster rate than what we have seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the disruption is only gaining speed, it's gaining momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the world is very turbulent going forward. And because the world is turbulent, the people who can be the captains with the nerves of skill, who can lead their teams through poise and clarity, mm-hmm. through this uh, turbulent weather, through this treacherous terrain, will succeed. So mm-hmm. uh, I have an, it's actually one of my favorite chapters in the book. Uh, how do you create the nerves of skills? And I give many, many examples of uh, Michael Jordan, for example. Why was Michael Jordan always be the one who would make a buzzer beater mm-hmm. score that would have Bulls win the championship or the game? Why was Tiger Woods the one with his steely stare, you know, walking down the 18th runway and then finishing a job and walking away with the trophy? Mm-hmm. How do you cultivate those nerves of steel when the pressure is on? How do you show grace under fire? Mm-hmm. If you can cultivate some of those skills, uh, it would be amazing for your career. And then the fifth element, uh, Louis, is that future is unknown. We don't know everything that will happen. In fact, uh, Yogi Berra once said that um, it's very hard to predict, especially the future. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny, right? Because uh, it is very hard to predict something that hasn't happened yet, but it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. And I have a chapter that is dedicated to how to become a futurist. Mm -hmm. And it talks about paying attention to the clues around you that gives you insights into where the future is going. You know, Mm -hmm. the fact that my daughter, Clara, cannot even spend 15 seconds watching the full video on TikTok. Mm -hmm. She scrolls up before even the 15 second video is done, tells me something as to where the future is. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, my friends in India are learning new skills using YouTube videos, 
not going to a school, but learning completely new skills on a YouTube video tells me that the future is not the traditional education that we are used to in the past. The world of education is changing. So if you pay attention to all these clues, then uh, you can actually create a pretty informed perspective on how the future would look. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, even though future is unknown, for your career, you should actually cultivate a pretty informed perspective on where the future is going by paying attention to these clues, mm-hmm. by studying them, by synthesizing them, and then extrapolating them. Mm-hmm. Those are the five dimensions uh, mm-hmm. in a the last one is really of interest to me, Molik, because the term future-proofing is uh, also brings that question, how can you future-proof when, the, when you don't and nobody can really see the future? But I, I like what you mentioned. It, is, it can be difficult, right? It requires a lot of work, but it is possible to be able to predict the, the future. You said start by paying attention. And just to reference to what's happened in the past six months, those organizations or individuals who were paying attention to the trends pre-COVID, who embarked on digital transformation ahead of their competitors or peers, individuals who also you know, uh, did self-study so that they can do other skills, were the ones who were surviving, if not thriving, in the past uh, um, six months. So take to our listeners, please, Take a look at what just happened here. Those who were ready, who are paying attention to what's happening, were ready for this. Now, how could we ready be ready for the next 10 years to pay attention to what's happening uh, around us? Now, moving to the organizational perspective, Molly. Earlier was really, if I'm a digital native, or regardless of generation, right? Even if I'm Gen X or I'm a, I'm a baby boomer who might extend some years in the corporate setup, these are the things that I need to prepare for so I can still have, have a meaningful career in the next uh, 10 years. Moving to organizational leadership, if you're leading a company, what traits of a successful company in the future should senior leaders start building right now? Sure. And it's the same uh, philosophy, Louis, right? Uh, leaders collectively should create an informed perspective on the dimensions of the future that they would encounter over the next 10 years. And Mm -hmm. I talk about five dimensions for the companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the first dimension is uh, that the future is digital. So transform your business to lead your industry, transform your business uh, to be the disruptor Mm -hmm. and not be disrupted. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times people think this digital transformation is about technology. Uh, you know, you see many companies failing at digital transformation because uh, they look at the latest buzzwords in the technology world mm-hmm. and they think that if they buy this technology and insert it into their legacy system, suddenly they would be transformed as mm-hmm. a company. But digital transformation actually is not about technology. It, technology is just a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, the transformation itself is about defining what problem you're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's defining what kind of value you want to create for your stakeholders. Mm -hmm. It's uh, defining 
how can you make your customer experience better? How can you make your employee experience better? Mm-hmm. And last but not the least, digital transformation is about tweaking your business model if necessary, or even completely revamping it. You know, I mm-hmm. give an example in the book that um, uh, Domino's Pizza, for example, just 12 years ago was struggling. And it, they only gave you only two options to order Domino's Pizza uh, 12 mm-hmm. years ago. Either you walk into their store in the US uh, uh, or if they have other locations around the world, or you call and then they deliver. Today, mm-hmm. uh, they have gone through massive digital transformation. Mm-hmm. And they give people options to order pizza through 15 different ways, including not clicking. There is a zero-click option. You just have to open their app. And if mm-hmm. it uh, remains open at for 10 seconds or so, Domino's automatically delivers your favorite pizza, which uh-huh. people has in their database. Mm-hmm. So the reason why it has more than 50% of the share in the U.S. online um, market is because uh, it has been investing in the digital transformation by keeping the customer at the center of it. Mm-hmm. Their transformation was not about technology. It was about how do we make the customer's life easier? Mm-hmm. And that's what they have done. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, I think companies would need to do is to take a step back and say, how can we improve our customer experience? How can we improve our employee experience? Mm-hmm. How do we create value for all the stakeholders? Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, do we need to completely revamp our business model or not? So that's mm-hmm. number one. The second uh, dimension for uh, the companies is uh, that future is meaningful. Mm-hmm. You know, gone are the days when uh, people and the companies would only talk about their corporate social responsibility in their annual report and there is a paragraph assigned to their corporate social responsibility and then there is a picture of the ceo giving a big cardboard check Mm -hmm. to a local charity those Mm -hmm. are the days that are gone Uh, it's a new world now with the digital natives uh storming the workplace they are very purpose driven they Mm -hmm. want to know what are you committing to as part of your corporate social responsibility before they commit to your brand, both mm-hmm. as employees as well as customers. They want to know what you stand for before they stand with you. Mm-hmm. So how do you become a purpose-driven company? You have to define a purpose that actually serves as your true north. It gives you direction when you are lost, mm-hmm. uh, when you are facing dif- difficult decisions as to what to do. Right, And I give many examples in the book as to how best-in-class companies have uh, done that. For example, um, you know, Patagonia. I give an example of that company in my book that uh, it is so driven by its efforts around improving the environment that it selects people who are highly motivated to improve the environment. Mm-hmm. In fact, when you go to apply for the job and you get the job, you don't get a typical handbook. The, the title of the handbook is something like, uh, let my employees surf. And those employees working at their uh, head office are actually allowed to go and surf if the mm-hmm. swell is high. Mm-hmm. Nobody is asking them questions. So 
how do you create a culture that is driven by some singular purpose that everybody can rally behind? Mm. And uh, the purpose that animates everything that you do within your organization. So that's very, it's going to be very important, especially with the digital natives, not just being the biggest part of your employees, but also becoming a huge part of your consumer. Mm-hmm. So, so far, Molik, before you continue, what's yeah. striking to me is, again, digital is not just about technology. It's more of the problems that you solve. It's more of the people. And now in the second thing that you mentioned, it's now about culture. Pay attention to culture and purpose. Exactly. Very important. Uh, companies who are going to nail those two things are going to be uh, in a much better position to embrace the future and thrive going forward. So the third one, Louis, uh, the future is boundless, mm-hmm. meaning there are so many opportunities for companies to take advantage of. But in order to do that, they would have to unleash innovation. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the reasons why companies are struggling with innovation today is because they think that if they become cosmetic, if they uh, take some random disjointed actions to appear like they are innovative, they will become innovative. So I have seen companies who suddenly out of the blue will take uh, all of the C-suite members, fly them into Silicon Valley for a week, let them go and visit Google or Amazon some of the other startups, and they think that if they breathe this innovation coming from other companies, it will transform the leaders, but also the companies, but that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen companies uh, who say, okay, well, you know what, uh, we want to be innovation, uh, we, we want to be innovative, so they go out and buy this small startup, but they don't change the culture of their big organization, so what mm-hmm. happens is they buy the startup, but then it suffocates in this extremely bureaucratic parent company mm-hmm. or I have seen companies who uh, just set up a innovation lab and think that by just having few people who are assigned to thinking innovation they would be they would become innovative but that doesn't happen either because the rest of the organization is extremely uh, would have an extreme hard time adapting to any of the new ideas coming from this innovation lab so Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot become innovative by doing this random, cosmetic, disjointed actions. Uh, you can become innovative by really defining what innovation means to your company. Mm-hmm. There are many definitions. If you go and uh, Google the definition of innovation, there are at least uh, 100 or more different definitions. So people have to decide first, what does innovation mean to your company? Mm-hmm. Then you have to create your own innovation strategy. Mm-hmm. Then you have to come up with an action plan and mm-hmm. execute that action plan flawlessly. If you mm-hmm. don't do this thing, then um, you know innovation would just remain a buzzword, mm-hmm. but it won't change anything in your company as well. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Malik, when people talk about innovation, they really refer to what others have done, uh, innovative uh, blockbusters. But what worked in one may not necessarily work in your case no? or within your context. So it's not a copy-paste thing. No, exactly. And I actually give three different examples, uh, Louis, as to three typical innovation strategies uh, companies can uh, adapt to. Mm-hmm. You know, the one is where you are making small, minor changes um, 
to the existing products. For example, mm -hmm. Gillette. You know, Gillette razor, I have been using it for uh, some 25 years since I started shaving. Uh, and over the years, it has improved. You know, first, I remember my first Gillette only had one blade. And now there are five blades. And then there mm -hmm. are things that make shaving so easier and feels so good. Uh, but those innovations that uh, Gillette did are all incremental innovation. You know, they mm -hmm. were little by little, they were changing it. Uh, so that's one innovation, uh, one type of innovation where you incrementally improve your existing products. Mm -hmm. The second type of uh, innovation uh, that I talk about is the one that Amazon did. You know, they started a company by selling books, mm -hmm. but then they realized that there is no need for them to only focus on the books. They have figured out how the supply chain works for the books. Mm -hmm. So they can sell practically anything. So they mm -hmm. went from uh, um, selling books to practically anything to everybody around the world. And it has mm -hmm. become you know, a trillion dollar plus company uh, over the years. So that's a different philosophy where you have a product and you expand horizontally. You know, it's called the adjacent innovation. And then the third innovation I talk about is what Apple did. You know, when Steve Jobs introduced uh, iPhone, uh, there was no market for iPhone. There was no smartphone before that. Correct. They actually created a new category. So that's a different innovation. So companies would have to ask themselves, which innovation strategy would fit for them? You know, is it the incremental innovation? Is it the adjacent innovation or completely new innovation where you introduce a new category in the world. Well, I'm thinking of a lot of innovation around Asmolic. And you really have to decide. I think that's the key word that you mentioned. Decide what kind of innovation will you do. Uh, yeah. Innovating is a conscious and intentional choice for leaders. It can also apply to a professional who wants to also build a successful uh, career. Okay. Um, yes. How can companies avoid the mistakes in the digital? Uh, would you have anything else there? Or you want to talk about five things now that we can do to future-proof companies and organizations? Sure. So, you know, we covered the three of them. You know, the future is digital. The future is uh, meaningful. The future is boundless. boundless. And the remaining two uh, for the companies is that the future is new. Uh, there are a lot of new things that would be introduced to us as a company. And the best way to thrive in this environment is actually to unleash and inspire learning within your workforce. You know, as companies look at the next 10 years, uh, they would realize that many of their employees would need a lot of upskilling just to keep up with the technological changes taking place in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, they would also realize that many of their employees may need complete reskilling because a lot of these jobs would be lost to AI or automation. And they would also realize that almost all of your employees would need some training on how to partner with AI, how to let the AI augment you as a human mm -hmm. being. Uh, it's a skill set that people would need to learn over the next uh, 10 years. So in the past, you are in the, you know, you are the master of L&D, uh, the leadership and development. So you know how this world works. Most of the people are focused on their urgent and important needs. When, they pe when people call you to come and deliver a seminar or leadership talk, 
A lot of the times what they are trying to do is to fix their existing issues. Yes. And I think what people would need to do for the next 10 years is to take a step back and have a very long-term view, a very strategic view of their leadership and development training efforts that they are doing in the company, mm -hmm. map mm -hmm. out their strategy for the entire next 10 years. So that's the fourth element uh, that I discuss in the book. And then the fifth one is that future is fun. Uh, even though, you know, when I take you through all the uh, challenges that are coming our way, that the future is turbulent, that uh, the journey is going to be very hard and arduous, at the end of the day, and mm -hmm. you and I have discussed this many times, it's up to the leaders whether even the hardest journey becomes the journey of a lifetime for your employee. Mm -hmm whether it's fun for them. Even though it's hard, it's up to the leaders to make sure that the journey is fun for your employees. So it's very important that leaders take all the steps necessary to create an environment, create a culture where employees feel appreciated, employees feel like the company trusts them, employees feel like that their voice is heard and respected. If you create that environment, then uh, the future will be fun for the company, but also for your employees. Mm -hmm. Those are the five elements of the uh, future-proofing your company. You got me there on the last one. The future is fun. In fact, uh, anxiety is the fear of the future, yes? And the, to somebody who may not be able to see the future, whether you're a professional or a leader, uh, fun may be the last word that you will think of. Right, when describing yeah. the the future, I also like it, Molik, that you to plug in leadership development, and to our community of listeners, having worked with uh, Molik. In fact, my first interview with Molik, thirteen years ago, was about really investing in a continuous leadership development uh, program. Uh, it touches on EQ that you mentioned earlier, soft skills. Being able to augment AI and leadership is all about inspiring and influencing. Um, yes, this, this guy, uh, Molik, has really been a uh, champion of learning and development and leadership development and how much more important it is and it will be in the next uh, uh, 10 years. Molik, I can see that uh, the book, your book, Future Proofing Your uh, Career and Company, is really all about the right mindset. It's while you give a lot of examples of uh, successes and failures of individuals and organizations, you know, a lot of other stories that you have in the book, you just simply laid down how we should see the future. Yes, and yes. Uh, what I like is future is fun, it's boundless, you know, it's meaningful. It's while you expect, a, let's say, a checklist from Molik. Maybe, Molly, it's not a checklist. It's really the right way of viewing the future so you get more excited and more prepared to succeed in these next 10 years and beyond. I could not have said it better. How do we uh, get a copy of this uh, book, Molly? You already, of course, I, I read the, the advanced uh, manuscript that you, that you sent. But really wanting to see the final book in itself. And our community of listeners would also be interested to get a copy. Is it available as an ebook, uh, hard copies in uh, bookstores, especially given the quarantine constraints now? 
how do we get a copy of this? So thank you for asking. Uh, the book uh, is in the final stretch now of getting done. Uh, it goes uh, on sale uh, on Amazon on November 14th, and uh, you can buy either ebook or a paper book, uh, the soft cover uh, paperback book. Uh, we are also partnering here locally in the Philippines with um, ABS-CBN Books, and uh, they will be distributing the books to uh, fully booked as well as uh, national bookstores, mainly in Manila and Cebu, uh, perhaps in Dumaguete, and we'll share those details on my website as it becomes available. Uh, the book uh, will also become available, by the way, uh, for pre-order. Uh, starting uh, October 17. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can actually get a copy of the book on Amazon. Uh, or if you don't have an Amazon account, uh, you know, please send us an email at uh, info at mauliparek.com. And based on where you are, uh, we'll be glad to get a copy to you and uh, make sure that you have a copy to read uh, on November 14th. We'll make sure that uh, in the YouTube video version of our podcast, Smolik, you will have all of those information you know, on uh, the final uh, frame of this uh, of the video so people can refer to it. Yeah. And yes, uh, Molik, it's been a great pleasure to be with you. I often joke with you, at least we see each other once a year because my annual leadership summits with your leadership team happen every uh, December. At least we see each other once a year this time. It's really just uh, uh, virtual, uh, something that we have to really get used to. But I think that's also a, a theme that will run in the next 10 years or more, getting used to, as Molik said, uh, taking the cue from what's happening around you and immediately uh, uh, adapting. And having worked with you, Molik, for the past uh, 12, 13 years, I know that this book has been written by a practitioner not a theoretician, somebody who's really been on the ground, leading teams. And uh, I've worked with you in several organizations, Malik, and we know how turbulent uh, it was uh, before, just different uh, versions of uh, turbulence. But Malik also mentioned the different kind of disruption that, there, it will ha that will happen in the next 10 years. Consider, let's consider ourselves warned of these disruptions. Nothing new with AI, nothing new with digital natives. Uh, natives. We've heard of gig economy before, but Molik's book will arm us more with habits and mindsets of really embracing, fully embracing this future because only when we embrace it can we really get ready to future-proof our career in our company. My leadership idol, Molik Parek in the house for Hello World Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Louis. Can we just say, greet our listeners again, Molik, with our ending greeting. Hello World, with that intonation. And we'll try to sing, right? I know it's difficult to sing, right? Are we doing okay, it together? Let's do it. Yes, yeah. we'll say it together. We'll try to say it together. Okay. okay. Oh, three, two, one. Hello, Hello World. Hello World. <laughs> this is Louis Banta. Thank you for listening to our Hello World Podcast. Follow us on Spotify for our weekly episodes.